I am going to do, I am going to review, this is what the Lord gave me, to review the revival cultures. Review, review, this is a, it's like a tongue twister. Review revival cultures. Hallelujah. And uh, so uh, I'll kind of start with an introduction on that. But um, as y'all know, I think everybody nearly knows this, that it in starting this past January, Pastor and I uh, started a course called, oh, we're going to let the children go. Yeah, we ought to let the children go. Children, are you, hallelujah. Or do we only have two? We only have two. The class is supposed to be three. There's nobody... So let's see. Let's break out the colors. Hallelujah! Praise God! I know it's a it's a hard day in in the OK Corral. Hallelujah! <laughs> Hallelujah! Well, it doesn't matter to me, but that's what they told me last week. I asked the question last week. Hallelujah! Okay, okay. <clears throat> so uh, we started this course uh, called uh, Leadership Development Program, and so uh, what it is is it's uh, twelve revival cultures to bring a culture of revival into your church, and I'll explain more about that later. So anyway, we've been really endeavoring to make the most of taking this course. And so everything we've learned, every culture, we've endeavored to put it into the church in some degree or measure. And so sometimes I've taught on things on Wednesday night. Sometimes pastors taught on things on Sunday morning. So we've gone through five months. So we've gone through five revival cultures. And so I felt like that because people work in children's church, people uh, work in the nursery and also sometimes there's absences that because of that 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 probably there were things concerning each revival culture that people had missed or I think there's even some things that we missed saying because you know you get into a sermon and you sometimes you'll just miss saying key parts because it's like the Holy Ghost will take you a little bit different direction that day so I wanted to review these tonight and go over them with you but I thought it would be good for us to understand what a culture is and when we say revival culture what are we even talking about but we know about cultures if you think about it but a culture is a, a group of people that have shared values goals or practices they are we have shared values goals or practices and you can recognize some cultures like you I, I don't know I don't I don't want to get in trouble here and I'm afraid I'm gonna get in trouble if I talk about different if I point out some different cultures but um, you know when you have a culture usually those people will kind of believe the same thing or have the same viewpoints and a lot of times they will talk the same way maybe even have the same uh, way of saying words use the same slang words or you know and i'm not talking about curse words there i'm just talking about little sayings you know like in the south we are we are a big culture in the south but in within the culture of the south there's many small subcultures in there i mean you know like for instance i heard bill o'reilly he said jethro bodine was a redneck and i thought 
are you kidding? Jethro Bodine is not a redneck. He's a hillbilly, you know, and there is there is a world of difference. And then he called he called Roy Clark on Hee Haw a, a, a redneck. And I'm like, Roy Clark is not a redneck. You have ne- you need to come to the South, Bill, and see a redneck, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you could tell he did not understand our culture and so um and, and so uh, <laughs> so in the south we have hillbilly culture and you know you know do y'all agree with me jethro bodine isn't a redneck hallelujah <laughs> but there's that there's a hillbilly culture and that you know hallelujah Anyway, praise God. So we have cultures, don't we? And so in the church, what we're endeavoring to have is a revival culture. And to me, I I know there's a lot of definitions of revival out there, but I'm going to sum it up like I see it, and it's real simple, is uh, um, revival is a move of God. And, you know, a revival could have many different parts to it. There could be uh, a lot of salvations, but not every revival is a big, uh, um, where there's, is, you know, some revivals have more salvations than the other. You could have a revival where you had a lot of people baptized in the Holy Ghost. Amen? You could have a revival where it seemed like the emphasis was on healing. And there'd be, you know, maybe thousands of people healed, but... And there'd be some that certainly would get saved. But, you know, there's different things that can happen in revival. But basically, it's God moving and things changing because of it. Amen. And so it's exciting. Revival's an exciting thing. Hallelujah. And uh, so that's one of the things we want to do is is have a culture of revival. And uh, the reason we need to have a culture of revival is so that we can... It, when revival comes, and we've all we've all had moves of God within this church, even, but we want to have it where we can, when it comes, we can hang on to it and sustain it. So that revival is not a weekend with a guest speaker where everybody gets all fired up, and then or the youth go to camp and they get all fired up and they come home and they're testifying, and like a month later, by the time school starts, they're all just dead and dry as they were before. You know, and that's not what we want. Hallelujah. Even though there was a move of God, you know, we want to sustain it. And that's the importance of revival culture. And that's what this people that have developed this, that is their purpose is to sustain revival. And uh, they pointed out to us that there's never been a revival in the history, in the, in history since the Bible day that lasted more than two to four years. No, we have not been able to sustain our revivals. And sometimes, and you know, sometimes, now, went two to four years, I'm like, sometimes, you know, there'll be little pockets of that revival that keep going. But to go into, you know, this full-blown, and it's really moving, usually about two to four years. And so we want to sustain it longer than that. And so uh, uh, I looked up. I just typed in revival culture into the, you know, you can find anything online. So I typed it into my search engine because I wanted to know what other people would be saying. And so here's some of the words. I'm just going to read to you these. You don't have to get all of these because it's quite a few. Some words I saw concerning uh, revival culture, and this was it, inconvenient. (laughs) That was one of the words that came up. Hard work, mind-blowing, explosive 
changes, reformation, resisted even by those that say they are hungry. That usually is what happens is the generation before resists the new move of God. That happened, uh, you know, in Azusa Street in 19, what was it, 1906, 1904, somewhere in there. Azusa Street and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And out of that, that move of God was birthed the Assemblies of God and Church of God. That's how they got started, those denominations. Well, and so then we rocked along in 1948, there came a healing revival to America. And there were some other little revivals in between, but a major healing revival swept America and, and Oral Roberts in his tent and Gordon Lindsay and, and uh, Catherine Kuhlman. And you could just go on and on. She was a little later, actually, in the 50s and 60s. But usually that the whatever revival was preceding that resists the next revival. Why? Because they're looking for it to come back again, but they're looking for it to come just like it came last time. And so, and God, he's always shaking things up, isn't he? Hallelujah. So he never comes back the same way twice. Oh, there's going to be elements that are like it. There will always be elements of the same, but it'll be a little different. And, you know, in the uh, 70s, they had a, it was the Jesus movement. And man, all these hippies were getting saved. Boy, they really resisted that, that long hair. And that, you know, Michael's grandmother, grandpa, you say that long syrupy hair. And so the older generation didn't like the long syrupy hair, but a lot of the big, um, uh, you know, a lot of the men that we admire and we want to listen to today, if you get back to their roots, they got born again in the Jesus movement back in the 70s. And so... Uh, it's amazing. So we won't, don't want to be those kind of people that go, well, that's not how I thought it's going to come. We want to be, you know, open. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, surrender, work, consecration, alert, intentional, gather continually, free of distraction, surrendered hearts, unwavering agreement, investment of time, energy, and passion, fiery prayer continual prayer, house of prayer, sober responsibility, but wondrous opportunity, fire of God, night and day, fear and trembling, fear of the Lord, brokenness, repentance, historic revival, culture shock. Could have some shock at what God would bring in here, you know, and what would happen in a revival. We might see something we'd never seen before. Here's something we hadn't heard before. Hallelujah. Truth, religious spirits reacting. You know, marvel, comfort zones threatened, personal endeavors disrupted, prophetic decrees, shocking and liberating, wonders, supernatural baptism of fire, dying to self, humility, boldness, and burning spirit of prayer. That was some of the words I found online concerning uh, revival culture. I like some of those words better than others, don't you? <laughs> Hallelujah. That dying to self one, that one, that one sounded a little painful, didn't it? Uh, uh, so culture is the cup to the coffee. I want you to think about this. The cup holds the coffee, and the culture holds the revival. And it's, or it's the wineskin wine to the wine. So a, the, a culture is a container to sustain revival. 
And so that's what we're endeavoring to to infuse in this church in every way possible. We So we want to sing about it and we want to talk about it and we want to pray about it until we just, till all of these cultures are just in us and, and they're in us big. And these are not shocking new things that were these revelations and these cultures. They're not shocking new things to us that have been in the uh, move of God and the you know, came up and, and, and heard these truths before. But the, the, the thing about them is, is that there's more revelation on them and also that they are, um, help me, Lord, they are, there's more emphasis on them. And so it's an emphasis on what needs to be emphasized in order to sustain revival culture. But very few of these will be things you've never heard of before. Uh, the counter spirit to revival is retirement. Or just putting it in park. Not moving on. Know enough about God. You know, I told you recently about how many people were Christians in Alabama. And I forget the statistics now. But it was like uh, 80-something percent of people in Alabama consider themselves to be Christian. But 57% consider themselves to know enough already. And that is what you call retirement. That is what you call putting it in park. And, you know, the Bible, we, and yet we sing amazing grace. And when we've been there 10,000 years, we'll have only just begun. And we don't believe a word of that song. It's like if you, when you get to heaven and you've been there 10,000 years and you will have just begun, we lo- looks like we could learn a few things more here on earth, doesn't it? From this big book, you mean you know it all? It's like, you know, they're just... You know, people are deceived, and then people are just, a lot of times people just don't think. You know, it's like, well, what do you believe? Well, whatever the Baptists believe, that's what I believe. Well, what do the Baptists believe? I don't know, but I believe what they believe. Hallelujah. That is just, that is rampant in our, you know, hallelujah. You know, the difference between, uh, uh, you know, what religion is. Religion is God-centered, but it's powerless and impersonal. Let me say that again. Religion has God at the center. I mean, they'll talk about God. They'll, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is, they totally don't go for the power of God. And they don't, you know, don't talk about personal relationship. In fact, if you start talking about personal relationship, well, that's just between me and God. You know, I I do my praying at home. Or, uh, you know, if you ask them anything too deep, it's like, well, you know, that's personal. We keep that to ourselves. That's a, you know, hallelujah, you know, you know. Okay, but that we are meant to have four generations of sons, blessed to the fourth generation. So we're to be passing revival down generation after generation. I'm to pass revival to my son and to, to my grandson and then my grandson's son. And that would be four generations at a time you know, in this move of God and in this revival, and then they would pass it down. And it would, of course, it would multiply and expand as it goes. Because you know how families get bigger. Uh, Hallelujah. So um, the kingdom is multi-generational. And we need to keep that in mind. Hallelujah. Without a culture of revival, uh, revival will be lost when it comes. We'll have it for a while and then we'll lose it. It's like here's the, here's let me give you an example. This is this is so good. It's like it's like when people win the lottery, but they don't have a culture of prosperity and money management. What happens when they win the lottery and they don't have that? 
they lose it. I mean, within a year, sometimes two or three years, I think the statistics are pretty high that it's going to be gone, and most of them will be right back in debt. And they win, you know, how can you win $25 million and be in debt in two or three years? I mean, that's, that is just, but it's because they don't have the right culture to receive that money into. Now, if they're already coming from wealth and they understand wealth and money management and, and investment, man, they're just going to, they'll, they'll be by the, you know, in three years, they'll might be billionaires because they've invested $25 million, you know, hallelujah. So it's like, it, that's the way revival is. If we don't have a revival culture, we won't know how to hang on to it. And so that's what we're we're going towards. So y'all with me? Uh, it's like this scripture. I'll give you the scripture. Matthew 13, 12, where Jesus said this to us. Does anybody want the air conditioner turned down? Up? I don't know. I'm asking y'all. Cold, huh? We're half we're half cold and half hot. Matthew 13. So get them, get them warm for a little bit, and then cool them back. Like, you know, and, you know. <laughs> Matthew 13:12. Are y'all with me? Okay. It says, "For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance." But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. So it's just like that lottery thing. When you have, and you have this understanding, when you get more, more is given, it just keeps coming. But when you have not that understanding, then what even you're given, you end up losing. So that scripture points it out really good. So let's start going over the cultures of revival and some of the things you will recognize. And some of them might be new to you, but I believe just, we, you know, we can always use more reinforcement in this. So the first culture of revival was family. Family. And God. one of the things we've learned is God's government is family. The government of heaven is family. Now, we're not necessarily talking about biological family because we know when we've been born again, we've been put into another whole, we're another, what do we call that? What's it saying? Uh, I'm a, we're a royal priesthood, a holy generation. We're new creation. We're like a, we're like another species of being. We may look human, but, and we, we are as far as our body, but we've been born again and we're not the same on the inside as the average guy walking down. You can't, you know, that guy over at Mapco that's never heard of God, we're not, we're not the same as him. And so, uh, so this is not necessarily talking about uh, biological family, but when they're born again, of course, they're in the family, aren't they? And that's what we want. Uh, <clears throat> so the government heaven is family. And let's uh, talking about heaven and the government or the kingdom. The kingdom is another way of saying the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah 9, 7. But God's all about family. Hallelujah. God wanted a family. That's why he uh, created Adam and Eve. And that's why he worked so hard to keep them even after they sinned in the garden. He wanted to bring that family back to himself. Hallelujah. And he's happy. And he wants us to... Uh, uh, that's why when he created Adam and Eve, he, he said, be fruitful and multiply. He wanted a big family. Hallelujah. And a lot of people are really helping him on that. But some, some others, not so much. But uh, hallelujah. Anyway, he like, and he wants people born again. Amen. Hallelujah. Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government 
and peace, there shall be no end. Say no end. So it's not going to end. And the increase, the increase, there's some key words there. Increase of the kingdom or the government of God, there will no, not be any end. So the kingdom of God is increasing. It's always advancing, always progressing, always increasing. And that's one of our jobs is to uh, be facilitators and prayers that the kingdom of God could increase in the earth. And he told us, he gave us the Lord's Prayer, and he said, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he wants us to pray that the kingdom grow and advance in Tuscaloosa County, in the world. Hallelujah. And it is. Every time somebody gets born again, every, you know, hallelujah. We're excited about that. So the kingdom, the government, on earth as it is in heaven. God wants the, His government to operate here in the earth. Hallelujah. So, um, which brings us to uh, the other part of family that we've been talking about is finding and being aware of spiritual fathers and mothers and spiritual sons and daughters. Hallelujah. And we can go over to uh, 1 Corinthians 4 for that. Now we're re re reviewing. Thank you, Lord. But we're, if you don't catch it all tonight, maybe don't. Well, we're going we're gonna to be talking about this for, for a long time. Forever, probably. 1 Corinthians 4.15. Paul said this. He said, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet ye have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. And so, as we study this culture of family, uh, the thing that, we need to be aware of is spiritual fathers and mothers and spiritual sons and daughters. And he said we would have 10,000 instructors or teachers, but we would not have many fathers. But the indication is we will have some. We will have some spiritual fathers in the Lord. And so I want to help you with that tonight um, and talk about spiritual fathers. I believe that a spiritual father, first of all, is a heart connection that you have that God gives you with a man or woman here on earth. It's a heart connection, first of all. And I believe that the, the way you perceive and understand if someone is a spiritual father to you is um, that if they changed your culture, in other words, they very... Uh, there was they, they brought you from one culture to another culture in the Lord, or they've been key in moving you to another level in your spiritual walk. So there you might have a spiritual father that got you born again. Sometimes people's spiritual they get a they they get born again and that person that got them born again is a spiritual father to them. But some people get born again off of TV. And, you know, or uh, some people just read a pamphlet that they found laying on the side of the road. Uh, what, uh, what do they call Tract. And, uh, and, and that's so they, they know, that's not their spiritual father. So God, but God wants to connect every person with a spiritual father that can help them grow in one culture. And spiritual fathers are not, 
you, they're not forever because, well, one thing is spiritual fathers tend to go and be with the Lord. And, and not that someone couldn't be a spiritual father to us while after they'd gone on to be with the Lord. But one other reason people do not remain usually our spiritual fathers is because of that. But also, uh, uh, you know, maybe they are just a, a person that, that we got involved. Like we got very involved after... Uh, we were born again. Well, when we were born again, I guess from the time we were born again till, uh, which I was born again in fourth grade, from then until, um, you know, early on, wow, I guess just I, if I had to tell who my spiritual, I, I would have to say it was a spiritual mother and it was my grandmother. It was nobody in the church I was in, but that my grandmother, you know, uh, Probably, but yet I didn't know she was a spiritual mother to me until many years later. Okay, am I making sense? I hope so. And then uh, after we got filled with the baptizing the Holy Ghost, and she was instrumental in getting us baptized in the Holy Ghost from salvation to baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so for two or three years after that, she was a spiritual mother to us, and she prayed us through. She was that one that uh, said, uh, I keep praying for you until Christ be formed in you. You know, she just kept her her prayers on us, me and Pastor. And, and uh, of course, we were uh, beginning to have Bible study and getting into this pastoral thing. But it wasn't long until, you know, she wasn't our spiritual mother anymore. I mean, she was our spiritual mother from the past, but she wasn't the current one. Does that make sense? And so it's not like we divorce them and just leave them. We still honor them, but it's not the one that's moving in our lives. And then Brother Kenneth E. Hagen, and of course, we never knew him personally. Uh, we knew him just we shook hands and everything but he didn't know who we were and we didn't we knew who he was but it's a heart connection it doesn't have to be a personal relationship so we had this where he's changing our culture our hearts connected to him we're listening to him we're feeding from him and he's changing our culture from just the baptist way of thinking to faith Believe in God for everything and anything and putting your faith in the Word of God. And so that continued for many years. And then, uh, and also at about the same time, Pastor hooked up with Dr. E.L. Cole and uh, Ed, Edwin Lewis Cole. And that was really a spiritual father to Pastor, not to me, because his was a men's ministry. But he helped Pastor form his, uh, his uh, who I am in Christ as a man and who I'm supposed to be in my family and as a pastor. And he really formed that culture up in Pastor. And Pastor's heart was connected to him, but he did not know him personally. And then we rocked along many years. And sometimes in those years, there would be people. Now, we didn't... Um, um, we didn't always know, we didn't understand spiritual fathers and mothers even even after we were having this. But now we look back and we say, this is what was happening. And you may not have understood either, but you may can look back to some people that you connected to and they 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 grew you, they, they changed you, your heart was connected. And uh, uh, hallelujah, praise God. And But there were people in our lives where we thought that they were going to be really close and we were going to connect, but it just never happened. Do y'all you know, know what I'm talking about there? And so then we rocked along and God brought brother uh, Pastor Buzzy Sutherland into our lives. And who would have thought he'd end up being a spiritual father to us? But we connected in our heart with him and... Uh, 
and uh, he took us to a place of knowing who we were in Christ that we'd never been before. Hallelujah. And so, um, but it, so, so we need to be open to being spiritual fathers. And, but let me tell you something else. We need to also be open to being, uh, to having spiritual fathers, but we need to be open to being spiritual fathers. Uh, all of us should have somebody in here that we're mothering in the Lord or we're fathering in the Lord. In other words, we're encouraging them. We're, we're putting things into their lives and uh, we do the best we can. Now, they may not connect to us like they're supposed to. But we, that doesn't mean we don't do the things a father would do, even though they... Have you ever had your kids not connect to you like they were supposed to? Your natural kids not do what they were supposed to do? Well, you didn't quit mothering them and fathering them, did you? And so you need to... If God puts a, somebody on your heart and, uh, you know, and you're just... You're praying over them. You're seeing to them. You're checking on them. You're giving them words of encouragement. You're, you're mothering and fathering You do what's before you. As long as it lasts. And they may disappear, you know, may not even come to the church anymore. And you're like, well, I don't know what happened to them. And it doesn't mean they have to go to this church either for you to mother and father them. But you know what I'm saying. They may just disappear off the face of the earth. Like, I mean, just go move somewhere and you may not know where they're at. But you did what you could while you were with them. They may look back many years from now and say, you know, that was a spiritual father to me. Or that was a spiritual mother. And uh, so... Uh, you need to stay open to that. And we need to seek to identify those in our lives who are our spiritual fathers and mothers now and, and honor them, of course. But we also need to seek to know those that are spiritual mothers and fathers in the past. And if they're still alive, we should still keep honoring them. Ours have all gone to be with Jesus. And, you know, and right now we're just, we, we are, ha God is connecting us. We're in the process of being connected. Uh, but let me say this, and this is very important. We launch off of our spiritual mothers and fathers. After they have mothered us and fathered us for a while, we will, uh, we will oftentimes, unless they're really growing, like me and Pastor are growing, but there's, you know, maybe, uh, like Brother Hagin's gone on, Brother Pastor Buzzy's gone on. So we're not walking, and I know people that are, so I want to point this out. We're not walking beside Brother Hagin anymore, but we're standing on his shoulders. His, his, his ceiling is our floor. Wherever he went to in God, we can go further now because we're standing on his ceiling. And we're staying, we, 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 there came a point with Granny Hixie and she was still alive and we were standing on her ceiling. You know, she had really gone, she wasn't growing much more, much anymore. And so we were standing on her ceiling and that was, it was important that we had that to stand on. And then Brother Hagen, you know, we stood on his, we're standing on his ceiling and Pastor Buzzy, we're standing on his ceiling. Hallelujah. And so the church should keep going forward and higher. We don't just stay in the same revelation that we've always had. Uh, did you know you can sit in church and not join the family? One of the ways to do that is to be critical, but another is just to stay on the fringes. And so we want to join the family. We want to position our hearts as sons and daughters. Uh, one of the things that to be pointed out and reminded of in our review is that we are not lacking for fathers in the body of Christ, but we're lacking for men and women, boys and girls that know how to be sons.
And let me just point out to you teachers, and I said this one time recently, but everybody in this church that's teaching, I want you to seek in your heart to be more than just an instructor, but to be a spiritual mother and father to them. In other words, where there's really a heart connection, and you and you all, a lot of people have had those Sunday school teachers that it's like that Sunday school teacher changed my life. Not like our Sunday school teacher in the Baptist church, who we remember who did ba- uh, football plays on the board. Yeah, on Sunday morning. And, you know, and that one, man, he would, and, and there wasn't even too exciting thing to talk about it with the Seagraves Eagles. I don't understand. <laughs> maybe he was, I don't know, maybe he was doing plays for tech I, or something, but hallelujah. Uh-huh. Um, so we need to understand the father-to-son relationship and the son-to-father relationship. You cannot be a father unless you're a son. You will never be a good spiritual father or mother unless you learn to be a spiritual son and daughter. Uh, you cannot make someone be a father to you. Hallelujah. It's a God thing. So the expected outcome of the revival culture of family is this, to bring heaven's relational government to earth. Amen. And so we can advance the kingdom if we have some sons that we can advance it with. Hallelujah. And you can go farther, farther with a spiritual father than you can if you're an orphan. They say that that's one of the things that's wrong in America is that there's too many people with orphan spirits. They don't have spiritual fathers and they don't even have natural fathers. And they're, uh, it's just out of control out of control the things that are happening in America and a lot of it goes back to spiritual fathers I think that we read somewhere that something like 90% of people that need inner healing it goes back to something to do with their father and so hallelujah let's be aware of spiritual fathers and mothers and get healed where we need to and then the second revival culture that we'll review tonight I knew we wouldn't get them all done tonight but Hallelujah, is the goodness of God. The goodness of God. And what the goodness of God is all about rooting out religion and religious thinking about God, about who He is and how, and how He does the things He does, and what He actually is doing in the earth and what He's not doing in the earth, rooting all that out. Hallelujah. And coming to an understanding that God is good and that God is good all the time. And all of us need to have, there's some things we still need to root out. Psalm 34, 8. We'll look at some things that talk about His goodness. Psalm 34, 8. Now, we've always been pretty, this is probably one of the cultures we've covered the least in the past five months because this is one that we were fairly grounded in before we got into this. But I tell you what, it's good to review in 34, 8 Psalm. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hallelujah. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hallelujah. That's something we need to say to ourselves. The Lord is good. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Oh, I love that. Romans 10, 15. It says, in Romans 10, 15, it says, How lovely are the feet of him that brings glad tidings of of good things. Glad tidings of good things. God has good things for his children. 
He's not up in heaven dreaming up things, bad things he can do to them. Hallelujah. Romans 2, 4. You know this scripture. We'll read it. But you know it. We get this quoted quite often. And this is a scripture a lot of people just have overlooked. It says, Oh, despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering of, of knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So when God wants somebody to repent, he doesn't send bad things. Hallelujah. He leads us. He leads us to repentance. Hallelujah. He leads us. He's good, and so his goodness says, I'm not going to whack them, I'm going to lead them. I praise the Lord. I like that. So under the goodness of God, write this down and say this to yourself all the time. God is in a good mood. Hallelujah. God is in a good mood. He's in a good mood every day. He's in a good mood with you. He's a uh, in, in, I tell you what, we will see a lot more people healed in church and out if we get a revelation God's in a good mood. He's a good, God's in a good mood. He wants to heal you today. Hallelujah. Praise God. Did you know it is illegal in God's eyes to take an Old Testament revelation of God and put it above the New Testament? To take an Old Testament revelation. Now, in the Old Testament, you see where, you know, God, you know, slaughtered them and wiped them out and hallelujah. And there was a purpose in that. And I will tell you, even in that, it was His goodness and it was His mercy. Because God, why did God destroy them and leave only Noah? It was goodness and mercy. It was goodness and mercy to preserve righteous seed. If you will always remember, preserve righteous seed. Because he's trying to get Jesus into the earth. He wants, he's got to get this Redeemer, Jesus, into the earth. And if he doesn't have a righteous seed, and everybody in the earth, that's kind of hard to imagine, but everybody in the earth but Noah and his sons and their wives were corrupt. And it was bad corrupt. It's, you know, and so to preserve righteous seed, to get Jesus, the Messiah here, so that he could preserve all of mankind, hallelujah. And even in then, he, even in that, he had a plan. He had a plan. And he said, I, I, yeah, yeah, he, he wiped them out. But then when Jesus came and Jesus died on the cross and, and he was resurrected from the dead. The Bible says he went into the bowels of the earth and preached and brought captivity captive. He went back down there and preached the gospel to them and they had a chance to receive Jesus Christ. So that is so good, isn't it? Now he's not going to do that again. You now you got to you better get him while you're here on earth or you're not he's not going to go in the bowels of the earth and go to hell and preach the gospel to you again. So they got they they have to get him now. But God in his goodness in the Old Testament, he had a plan, he worked the plan, but he had to preserve that righteous seed and whatever it took. 
whatever it took. He And he kept narrowing it down. You know, he started with uh, Adam and Eve, and then he wiped all them out. And so he's got Noah, and he and he's he keeps narrowing it down. Then he narrowed it down to Abraham's family, and then he he you know he keeps narrowing it down, and then he narrows it down to the tribe of Judah. It's got to come out of the tribe of Judah, and you know he keeps narrowing it down to to exactly what family it's going to come from. Hallelujah! How uh, it's what a plan! What a plan! God is such a planner. So uh, Jesus perfectly represented the Father in the New Testament. So whatever you saw Jesus do, you read the four Gospels, whatever you see Jesus do, that's exactly, that is God. He was, Jesus was God. He left his divinity behind, but the, whatever he did in the Gospels, that's the reflection of God. He was a perfect representation of the Father. And so let's talk about that. Jesus, this is important. Jesus, you can't find in the Gospels, not even one time, where he ever turned anybody away and said, no, I'm not going to heal you. Everybody that came to him, he healed. So he's totally representing the Father. So if that's what Jesus did in the Gospels, then that's what God does today. He, he healed everybody that comes to him. Well, why doesn't everybody get healed? Lack of understanding. My people perish for lack of knowledge. And also, it's like, well, you know, you know, like that guy said, Lord, you know, if you can, heal me. And Jesus said, if I can... You know, uh, we're believing wrong. So uh, then let's talk about this. Jesus never said to anybody that needed healing in the New Testament, He never said later. Now it's going to take some time. He never said later. Hallelujah. And another thing, Jesus never put sickness on anyone. If that was what God was doing... Jesus being God, coming in God, coming as God, to represent God, wouldn't he have put sick? I mean, he had some great opportunities. I mean, I would have thrown some sickness over on those guys that was beating me at the at Pilate's post. I would, you know, uh, they took up stones, you know, to throw at him. They took up stones against him. Wouldn't you have thrown some sickness over there on them? I called down hellfire. I mean, and he, but Jesus never did that. And he totally is representing the Father. Hallelujah. Uh, Jesus never used his authority. Now listen to this. He never used his authority to bring a storm. And he never used his authority to increase a storm. Now storms came up against him but he, and against the disciples, but he always used his authority to calm the storm, to stop the storm. He always said, peace be still. And he chewed them out. Oh, ye of little faith, why didn't you speak to the storm? Hallelujah. Praise God. So there's no way God cooked up a tornado for Tuscaloosa County or more Oklahoma or Joplin, Missouri, you know. And I tell you what, if he was going to cook up a storm, if Jesus was going to cook up a storm for some towns, I can think of some really wicked places he could go. Don't y'all think? Amen. Um, <clears throat> praise God. God is good. Did you know that we went from slaves to freedom in an instant by the blood of Jesus? We went from followers of God to temples of the Holy Ghost in an instant by the blood of Jesus.
We, we don't reflect light. We shine. We have rivers flowing out of us. All of us. And here's something else you can write down. You can say this to everybody you see. God is gooder than you think. I like God is gooder. I just love saying that. God is gooder than you think. Everybody turn to somebody and say, God is gooder than you think. Amen. And, you know, the other night we watched the video, that, or I believe it was the other night, he said he, that this is the way he prayed. He said, start praying, Lord, surprise us with your goodness today. How many of you have been praying that since you heard it? Lord, surprise us with your goodness today. Oh, I'm excited. Psalm 136, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Brother Hagin used to say that if you that he's had the just saying that verse over and over, and he if you ever was in his meetings, he'd say it over and over, and he'd get us saying, "Oh, give thanks to, to the Lord for He is good and His mercy endureth forever." And we just you know we might say it fifty times, but he'd say the healing anointing will come in when you say it. Hallelujah. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, and His mercy endureth forever. So our expected outcome of that revival culture is tasting and seeing that the Lord is good every day. We want to taste it and see it every day. Every day. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, we'll talk about the other three next week. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, let's see. How could we taste and see that the Lord is good tonight? Anybody have any ideas? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Hallelujah. Well, we could pray for everybody in the room. Hallelujah. I always like it when just a few show up because you can pray for everybody. I mean, there's that's one benefit. I don't... Hallelujah. That's just a benefit.